Hi, everyone. This is Dina McKay, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged. You can find full show notes for this episode at blacktechunplugged.com. This is episode 15, and on this episode, I have Dr. Jeremy Magruder Waysom. Jeremy is based in the Orlando area, and she's working on a grant to increase the number of blacks in computing. You'll hear more about what she does during this episode, but I want to note that her team is doing a conference the second weekend of August in New Orleans. It's the National Society of Blacks in Computing. All the information will be available in the show notes. Hopefully, I'll be able to see some of you there, and hopefully, you'll be able to spread this information to people that you know that would be interested in the event. Now, back to today's episode. On this episode, we discuss quite a few things, but the main topics are how tech and science are similar yet different, why talented Blacks in tech can go undiscovered, and how having a mentor that's younger than you can open your eyes to a whole new world. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get it. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged. I have a brand new guest today, and her name is Dr. Jeremy Magruder Waysom. Hi, Jeremy. Hey, thanks for having me. Of course, of course. So to get started, let's introduce yourself to the listeners. Let's start off with what you're doing, because I know it's pretty amazing. Yeah, so I am a postdoctoral associate at the University of Florida in the Department of Computer and Information Science and Engineering, which is a mouthful. And I'm also the project manager of a grant that's funded by the National Science Foundation called the Institute for African American Mentoring in the Computing Sciences. I'm not sure how many of my listeners actually know about the grant you're working on. So let's go into more details about what it is and how people can find out more about it. Right. So we call it IAMCS. So it's an acronym, IAAMCS.org is our website. And it's a lot easier to say than the full title. Um, But essentially, the National Science Foundation has funded us to promote what's called broadening participation in computing. And so our grant is an alliance between multiple institutions across the country where we support Blacks in computing. And that goes from undergraduate students through uh, professionals and those who are in the academy. We provide different mentoring opportunities and support through the different programs that we have with our grant. And how long has this grant been going on? So IMCS has actually been functioning for five years. But prior to that, there was another alliance proposal that my boss has that essentially did the same thing. It functioned the same way. And they merged it into multiple alliances because it supported uh, a broader population. So our focus now is, is only on Blacks and computing. And it's been an interesting journey. I joined officially this past January, but I've been working with the grant for over a year now, um, functioning as the project manager. And from your perspective, how's everything going? Are you enjoying the ride so far? It's been a crazy, like roller coaster rocket situation to the sky <laughs> from going from a doctoral student to actually like functioning as the 
project manager of a grant this large. Um, huge learning curve, but I'm really enjoying all of the travel and meeting people. I am the extreme end of extrovertism. So I really enjoy being able to kind of share what we're doing and the things that we're accomplishing in our communities. And I think it's really like fulfilling work. And so I enjoy what I'm doing now a lot more than I enjoyed being a PhD student. <laughs> well, actually, let's go back and have the conversation of how did you get where you are today? How did you get to this position? How did you get into tech? Yeah, so I, it's so weird to hear you say that, but I'm in tech. <laughs> because <laughs> technically, my field is civil engineering. So it's not a tech field per se. I don't think that conventionally people would think, oh, civil engineer, technology. But um, I actually became really passionate about broadening participation in, or diversifying engineering. And as a result, I was really involved as a, as a student in extracurricular activities that focused on that. And it helped me meet my current boss, who is the department chair in computer science. And and talking with him, he just felt like I would be perfect for this role. Um, and so when I was ready to finish up, he kind of held a space for me to, to take on this position. And it's, I think that tech is one of those areas where you don't necessarily have to be coding as like a middle school student to ultimately end up in that field. You just have to be open and willing to learn new things. And I feel like I've just been blessed to have this opportunity to kind of be more tech adjacent and not necessarily in tech. Um, But I am now doing research on like usability and different technology. So I'm becoming more of a tech person over time. And that's interesting. You said you started out in civil engineering and you said that you're more tech adjacent. But I mean, from my perspective, I feel like civil engineering is part of tech, but it sounds like you feel a little bit different. Why is that? I think a lot of people don't think of civil engineering and technology. There are definitely some fields within the discipline of civil engineering that lend itself to technology. Like if you're doing traffic related work, transportation, my work is actually in materials. So I made asphalt (laughs) for my (laughs) research. That is not really a, a technologically advanced material. Um, there is certainly a lot of science that goes into it, but technology and science, there's a separation between the two. And so, I mean, the most advanced equipment that I'm using is is probably my laptop and Excel. So <laughs> it's not necessarily technology. I will say that I have used a lot of different materials characterization devices that are extremely technology heavy, but in the... I guess in someone's common thought of like what technology is, civil engineering is not going to be what pops in their brain. <laughs> um, you were talking about there's kind of like the split between tech and science. I find that interesting. I guess from my perspective, I always thought that almost like you can't have tech without science or maybe it might be vice versa, but I feel like they really aren't split. I feel like they're almost... 
I feel like technology supports science and technology mm-hmm. can be science, but mm-hmm. I don't know that science is always technology, right? And so right. like the type of science that I'm doing may or may not, I mean, it's definitely supported by technology, but the actual work that I have to do is not technology. It's science. <laughs> it's math and literal science, material science. Gotcha. So you go from making asphalt, and that that sounds weird to say out loud, but you're making asphalt as a civil engineer. And then you hop over into this new direction where you're helping the tech industry become more diverse with the programming and grant work that you're working on. What keeps you going every day with doing that? Because it's kind of a, I don't want to say it's a large switch, but you know, it's a switch, switch in mindset from what you were originally doing. It's a complete complete diversion from what I was doing because (laughs) my job was to, I used to tell people like I play with rocks. Like that's literally what I did. Um, And I went from that to supporting people and encouraging people and mentoring people. And so human, human research is, is very, very different than what you're doing in a laboratory. There's additional training that I have to go through to work with people. And I, I think my personality being super extroverted makes it easy for me to be in that space and a lot easier than it was for me to be kind of in isolation in a lab. And I was realizing that as I was in the middle of failed test after failed test after failed test and, you know, trying to figure out, okay, is this really something that I want to do? And I ultimately decided that I wanted to be around people more and it's the people that make what I do worthwhile. So I really enjoy the lab that I'm in. I enjoy um, the people who work on the grant that I'm funded from. And I think it's, it's always great to like wake up and love with what you do. And people say that you don't have to like work a day in your life if you love your job. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like I'm like on a on a mini vacation right now. <laughs> I don't want to end, but postdoctoral positions don't last very long. So we'll see what happens and where I end up afterwards. But I'm at least going to continue to do this through the next year or so. So since you've been part of this grant program, how have you seen the action that you've been taking and the action of your team impact the students that you're interacting with on a daily basis? One of the most impactful things that I see is through the conference that we have and some of the programs that we have that involve bringing students to different campuses where I will meet a student who has never met a person who looks like them in computer science or computing in general and engineering. They've never met a faculty member or someone in industry who looks like them. Isn't that crazy? We're in 2018 and there are still students and even people who work in corporations who have not seen other people that look like them in the industry. That's like my absurd. Almost mind blowing, but it's and- it's very shocking. So I remember the the day that I first met someone with a PhD in civil engineering. And it was a black woman. 
Mm. It blew my mind. It completely <laughs> blew my mind. She's like, yeah, there's more of us. And I just, I don't know if I never had thought that in my mind, like, oh, there, there have to be some, but I never took the time to investigate either. And so I completely identify with these students. It's like they get the chance to meet someone or, or they've seen them online and they've never actually physically seen a person who looks like them, who's doing the work that they're doing or who could actually support them and understand where they're coming from because they've been there. Right. And what's, I guess, because you're closely connected to students and people who have not seen someone who looks like them in the industry, is there any tips or advice that you could give for people who are out here and willing to mentor and willing to help how we can get more involved and get in front of these students? Absolutely. So we, I mean, our grant completely is focused on mentoring. So we try to match students with mentors. We have an online virtual mentoring program. Um, We partnered with a a group called MentorNet to provide online mentoring as well. And we do research experiences for undergraduate students. We have a distinguished lecture series, which brings Black faculty to campuses across the country for them to give talks so that people can see the type of scholarly research that they're producing. Um, and then we have our conference. So if if you're interested in being involved, they can visit iaamcs.org, which is iamcs.org, and get more information about the programs that we're doing. And then we also created what we're calling the guidelines, which is essentially a brochure to help support faculty at institutions who may not have the skill set that they feel that they need to advise students of color in particular. And so we've we've kind of condensed a small like reference um, that they can use that's research based that would help them mentor students who are on their campuses. So that's also on the website. So it sounds like the guidelines is almost like what I would call like the handbook to this is how you're going to get through this whole situation. Yeah. So I don't know. People tend to gravitate towards people who look like them. It's there are books about it. Like it's a psychological thing, but sometimes you don't have that opportunity. The computing sciences, those fields are extremely, um, it's extremely rare to have a a large group of black students in those fields, unless you're at an HBCU. And so um, what we want to do is empower other people, empower allies to support our students of color on these campuses. And hopefully some of my listeners who are hearing this, I hope they decide to, you know, step up and give some mentorship to your program. I think there's a lot of Blacks in computing that have gone through many situations and are in a new place today, but it's like we need mentorship to get the next generation to where we are today. So hopefully that is something a lot of people will sign up for and start getting in front of these students to show them what it's like. Mm-hmm. And in regards to mentorship, from your perspective, how has how did mentorship affect you and your journey? <laughs> 
I've had a mentor who I met in high school who I still refer to him as my mentor today, even though he is not well, but I, I'm in contact with his family and his daughter actually has kind of stepped in and taken over that role. But uh, Dr. Jonathan Earl was the assistant dean for student affairs in the College of Engineering at the University of Florida. And he has created some programming that has been modeled nationally uh, for supporting students of color in engineering and computer science. And so when I was in high school, he actually met me and I participated in one of his programs. And he encouraged me to come to the University of Florida. He's a Jamaican man who was in civil engineering. And he just, he had like such a warm spirit. And I felt like I could tell him everything. And so when I finally got into college, I just knew I was going to Georgia Tech. I'd been accepted to Georgia Tech. I told everyone I was going to Georgia Tech. Um, and he encouraged me to stay in Florida and go to the University of Florida. And because of his fight for that, and also the fact that I would have had zero dollars in loans when I finished my degree versus having like a, a mortgage, um, I chose to go to Florida. But he was there every step of the way, kind of encouraging me, pushing me along and and saying that I could do it. He never gave up on me. And even though I came from a family that had, you know, both of my parents have been to college, both of my parents have graduate degrees, I think parents can only do so much to support you and identify with what you're doing. My parents were, are not engineers at all. But Having somebody who's there and can advocate for you, who has kind of power Mm -hmm. and not like because they're older than you, but because of their position where they're located um, and the things that they've accomplished, it empowers you. He gave me access to spaces that I would have never had access to if he had not been there. So because he was an associate dean... I met all the other deans and then, you know, I got to to network with people who were donors and people who were alumni from the college. And it just opens your eyes to what other opportunities are available to you. And so I kind of started to just say, you know, maybe I should follow in his footsteps. Maybe this is a good direction for me to pursue. And so he's the person who encouraged me to get a PhD. And I don't think I would have done it if I didn't have him in my corner the whole time. That's amazing. And it's almost crazy to think about how one person can have such an influence on your life and the path that you take. Like imagine if you didn't meet him and you could have went to Georgia Tech and then then what would happen? I mean, obviously we won't know him. (laughs) We'll never, you never know like how just just having a conversation with someone about, you know, oh, I struggled with this too. Even like something as small as that to, to share with someone and, and encourage them that they're not alone in their struggle in engineering and computer science, that alone can change someone's path. Exactly. And that's why I'm very big on mentorship and volunteering and being in front of people, especially 
the younger generation as much as possible because they need guidance. They need help. It's like you never know who you're going to meet and shape their future to be someone like yourself one day. Yeah. But in regards to mentorship, how did how do you find a good mentor? Because a lot of people, and this is the question that I hate when people ask me, oh, should I just send an email and say, will you be my mentor? It's so <laughs> awkward. Everything has to come naturally. But from your perspective, what are some tips or advice for people who are looking for a mentor and where to find them? So I think people have gotten used to being able to use like social media and (laughs) things of that nature to interact with other people. And under that guise, like it makes it harder to have these like face-to-face conversations and real conversations with, with others about your interests and things. And I honestly tell people who ask me that question, just say something <laughs> because generally the reason that they're coming to you is because they, they're afraid to make that first step. So I, I tell, I tell students all the time, like nobody is going to just find you and know what's going on in your life. You have to be the person to initiate that contact. You have to be your own advocate. And this is an example of that. So you need to be able to send an email and say, hi, I'm so-and-so and and I do blah, blah, blah. And I found you on on your website and I'm interested in what you're doing. Do you have time for us to like talk more about how you got into that and how I could follow in your footsteps? It's really a simple thing to send to someone in an email But it also shows that you've taken time to do a little bit of research on who they are and you're more likely to get a response that way. I've also learned that faculty in particular are extremely busy people and a lot of them don't read their emails. So (laughs) (laughs) it might be easier for you to introduce yourself to someone in person. And that can only happen if you're physically in the same space as others. So you have to go to conferences and go to events and introduce yourself to people and follow up and be consistent. And that's really how mentorship ends up working best is when you are the person who's initiating it, then you are invested in it and you want to continue it. You're going to have to keep pushing until something sticks. And not everybody's a match either. So someone might initiate contact and then decide, you know, maybe this isn't for me. And you gotta like, gotta shrug that off and keep moving. Right. And two key points that I want to go back and touch on for a second that you mentioned is one, the follow-up is so key. And I find that people do not follow up and I'm just like, (laughs) Oh gosh. And I understand people, everyone has their kind of quirks and nervousness so it's like sometimes you know you might be a little bit shy or afraid to follow up but it's like you have to follow up sometimes emails get missed just by accident so it's just like the follow-up is key and then um the other point you made about sometimes it's not a good fit i just find that people people in general just when it comes to relationships and relationship building always tend to hold on to people a lot longer than they really should yeah And so it's like, if they're not a good fit, it's okay to admit that they're not a good fit or you're not 
you don't compliment each other's personalities, but you don't have to sit there and suffer and struggle and try to make something work that doesn't work. Yeah. It's just, it's not worth it for either of you because ultimately you're not getting the type of support that you need to grow. And I think mentorship can go both ways too. So we tend to focus on relationships with people who are more seasoned than us. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I I get the best advice from people who are younger than me. And it may not be something that is like career related, but, you know, just thinking through how I might approach a, a problem. I mean, there's a reason that faculty have an entire lab full of students that they they work with for their work and not necessarily a, a room full of their, their colleagues and their peers. And it's because new ideas come from different perspectives. And so there's value in, in mentoring others and being mentored. You need both. I completely agree. What is like one thing that you've heard from a student thus far that was some really great advice? That might take me a while. (laughs) (laughs) It might. So I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think of a scenario. I know like recently as I was finishing up my, my research, um, like writing my dissertation, I was trying to analyze some data that I needed like a statistical background to, to be able to comprehend. And my advisor was just like, do it how we've always done it. And it just didn't sit well with me. So I called one of my friends and she was like, no, (laughs) 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 don't do that because it doesn't seem like there's a real understanding of what was done. And she encouraged me to just like pull out a statistics book and refer to it. And that's ultimately what I ended up doing. It took a lot longer, but I felt confident in the work that I'd done. And if I'd listened to my advisor, you know, one day I have to get up and defend your, my work. And how do I do that if I don't fully comprehend how that was done? So she was absolutely right in that scenario. Okay. I'm trying to think I've done like quite a few mentoring and like mentorship kind of, you know, activities. And I'm trying to think what is the best advice I've gotten from one of them. I think one thing is just being around younger, younger individuals and, you know, just interacting with them. It's just stay open. Mm. I feel like when you're younger and the, you know, not to sound morbid, but when the world hasn't tainted your soul yet, you're just open to any <laughs> and every opportunity. You're just like, oh, I'll try this. I'll try this. And you'll yeah. just try anything. So I think it's like that type of spirit that younger individuals have that keeps me going and like inspires me to just try different things. Yeah. I'll also say like, so my new job is in, involves a lot of traveling mm-hmm. and I love traveling, but I think I'm becoming like more jaded by the travel. Like, oh, I got to go on another trip. I got to pack. I got to unpack. You know, it's it's a lot. And then you tell a, a younger person like, oh, I'm going all these places. And they're like, I wish I could do that, you know, with these like wide eyes. And 
it reminds me that I am blessed to have this opportunity. I was going to say, so you are traveling a lot and going different places. Tell my listeners just what you're doing when you go to different locations and maybe some of the past places that you've traveled and that's left a big mark on you. Essentially, I go to different conferences and events and meetings promoting the grant or representing the grant that I'm on. And so sometimes we have booths at conferences, like we just went to SIGC, which is the special interest group for computer science education. Um, And we had a booth at the conference. Mm -hmm. And there's a new event that's going on that's called Black Computer. And that conference was amazing. It was phenomenal. So I went to the first like official Black Computer meeting last year. And it was just such a good like emotional boost for me. I was in the midst of trying to finish my work and just listening to the stories of these women and the things that they have overcome and how they want to create change in computing and in industry and, and serve as a network of support for each other. And there were people crying and hugging and it was just such a wonderful time. And I've never been in a space like that where people have been so authentic and, and willing to share and I left feeling like rejuvenated. So they they had another meeting this, I guess, April. And I wasn't able to attend because I was at an event in Washington, D.C. So I had to go to the national, the USA Science and Engineering Festival in D.C. instead for the grant. So I missed it. The students who got to attend and some of the faculty who attended, they loved it too. And I just, I wish we had more opportunities to kind of shed a light on how we've progressed as a society and then ways that we can address the issues that we still see in the STEM fields and how do we promote underrepresented minorities? How do we promote women in these spaces? How do we support each other? Even if the support isn't being given by the institutions that we work for, how do we do that for ourselves? It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, that sounds awesome. That sounds like one I'm going to have to check out soon then. You definitely should go. (laughs) And I know we keep talking about other events, but let's talk about the event that your grant is going to have the National Society of Blacks in Computing. Tell my listeners where the event is, when it is, and what they can expect if they attend. Yeah, so it's in New Orleans, Louisiana, at the Hyatt Regency, New Orleans, August 9th through 11th this year. And we are actually going to co-locate our conference with the Black Data Processing Associates uh, annual meeting. So BDPA is more focused on industry and we are more in the academic space and we felt like it was just a good synergistic move to kind of align what we're doing and our conference will be focused on graduate students undergraduate students and faculty and different uh aspects that are related to 
promoting mentorship in that space and then also like just completing your degree and there will be speakers from industry and the academy we're going to have workshops that are related to funding and we will likely have a group from the uh, black women in computing group who put on the black computer conference as well we are also going to be attending like having the same sessions like the opening sessions and things with BDPA so you'll have a chance to network with the participants at that conference and we also always do this like opening reception the first night uh, to mix and mingle and get to know each other so it's going to be a great time and I know by the time this airs we'll probably not be able to sign up for our scholarship but we do provide scholarships usually to the attendees Regardless, the event sounds really dope. It sounds like if you are a student, undergrad, graduate, you need to be at this event. This sounds like, personally, I'm going to try to go. So this also, this just sounds like something where, one, I feel like it's a hidden gem because if I was an undergrad or in graduate school and I knew about something like this, I definitely would have been there. Mm. It would have made me feel like I had more camaraderie community industry yeah right and one of the purposes so like we want to build social capital between the people who are coming so we know that people exist in isolation sometimes it's just good to get together it's like a family reunion uh (laughs) and and just breathe in the same space as like your cousins and your auntie and them so we facilitate that in a way that also addresses your professional development. I like that it's a, what you said was kind of like a mixture. Cause you know, sometimes you go to these conferences and there's not really workshops. Mm-hmm. It's more heavy on the networking and then some, you know, people who are speaking not to knock people who are speakers because that is important <laughs> as well to share your experience. But I love when a conference also has workshops and kind of teaches you a new skill or teaches you how to enhance a skill that you already have. Mm-hmm. So I love that you guys have the workshop component to your event. It's a great time. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure many of my listeners, hopefully I'll be promoting it. So I don't want to hear anybody's excuse for not being able to go or not hearing about it. Mm-hmm. Then we were talking previously about when you were in school. Also, you didn't know until you later on met people who were black, a black woman who was an engineer, civil engineer, Mm-hmm. how you didn't know how to find your community in so many words. Yeah. So do you feel like we still are hidden figures within the tech industry? So I've been involved in the national society of black engineers since I was in high school mm-hmm. and Nesby is phenomenal for you to meet other people who are like you in your programs. I think once you get up into the, PhD space, it becomes even more difficult to find people who are like you. Um, If you're a black person or in my case, as a black woman, you know, it, it's hard to, to just find someone who's even in my program, I was by myself for years. Mm -hmm. Um, The only black person in my space. So I think that, we just don't consider that there are more of us out there. 
we tend to focus on what's in front of us and and not on the bigger picture of things. And events like Nesby or our conference, Black Compute Her, things like that, shed light on the fact that you aren't you aren't alone. And in most cases, there is someone who has gone before you and kind of paved this path. That's ironic <laughs> to, for you to be able to to accomplish the things that that you are accomplishing. In my case, there was a another black female student who also did asphalt research mm-hmm. and graduated a few years before me and encouraged me to to keep going. But we also don't highlight black excellence in this country the way that we should. And I'm glad that the, like movies like Hidden Figures are coming out and we've got black superheroes and and people who have been elevated to kind of a national or international uh, stage for us to be able to look at and and remind ourselves of our legacy and where we've come from. I definitely can agree to that. I mean, obviously, I think everyone knows by now that as people of color in this country right now, we aren't valued as much as we should be. I'll say we aren't portrayed in the light that we should be by the media and by news. And I just, I feel like we like to look at certain aspects of the things that we've done and not all of the things that we've done. And instead of focusing on the negative, this is something that is completely positive. Like we can do these things. In many cases, we are the people who began a lot of this work. And it's just a matter of knowing our history. Exactly. I guess one question around a lot of this work never hits mainstream media. Like we just Mm -hmm. know that's how things work. But why? What would it hurt to actually show something positive that we're doing out here? Because there's a lot of positivity going on. There's the event you guys are doing with National Society of Blacks and Computing. There's Black Tech Week. So why not? allow this stuff to go mainstream and see that we're out here trying to work and putting in that effort. <laughs> you would think that it would be great to have like all of this on the news and people seeing all of all the things that are being accomplished in our communities. But I don't know why our news cycles have been so negative as late. And I, I wish that, you know, Darkness was not the thing that sold uh, on the newsstands and things, but people gravitate towards it. It's more interesting to people. It sells more news stories. And so any kind of disaster or anything like that, you know, will stay in the news forever. But somebody who's accomplishing something truly remarkable, like science has never been valued actually learning about the people who are creating it and those things has never been something that has been mainstream. And so, I mean, just think about how much news Mark Zuckerberg had for sitting in that room and answering all those questions. than just when he created Facebook in the first place. Right. Very, very true. So we've got black billionaires who are out here doing amazing things and, Nobody cares. And we have people like Kanye who are 
actually doing some pretty amazing things, but we're focused on the sound bites that were being fed by people. Right. So it's it's not what sells. We are a kind of a doom and gloom kind of society, which is really frustrating. Um, I'm all for positive propaganda, though. So I'm going to keep promoting what I'm doing and hopefully it'll catch on. Going back to a brighter note, because we were talking about Nesby and you were in that Nesby community and you recently won an award from Nesby. Yes. (laughs) So do you want to talk about that a little bit? It's kind of mind blowing. Um, I actually forgot. So it's an app. It's a scholarship. So I actually forgot that I filled out the application. Um, I was renewing my membership, and it popped up like, "Oh, you you qualify for some scholarships." I was like, oh, I'll just fill this out, and I completely forgot about it. So when I got the email, I thought it was a joke. That um, <laughs> <laughs> I ignored it for like a week, and then I went back. <laughs> And read the whole email, and I was like, congratulations, you've won the Mike Shen Distinguished Member of the Year Award. And I was floored. I I couldn't say anything for probably like 10 minutes once I actually read the email. And I just sat here like, I can't believe that I'm being honored um, as the Member of the Year for the entire National Society of Black Engineers. And so I got to actually meet Mike Shen's wife who is an incredible person. She's just so sweet. Um, and talk to her. She was actually, she actually received an, an award. Um, and so we got to like sit together and talk. And then that convention actually had over 12,000 attendees. Wow. So just to like put into perspective, like this is the, one of the largest student run organizations in the country. So to receive an award from them was was amazing. Absolutely amazing. I believe you deserved it. So, <laughs> I mean, but it, isn't it crazy how whenever you have like an opportunity like that, you're reading it like, oh, no, this isn't for me. I think you guys are joking over here, but thanks. <laughs> yeah, because it was from an email that I never, you know, you just don't, right. you don't expect stuff like that. I, I don't expect stuff like that to happen. I get it. I've done the same thing. I I went to a digital initiative at Harvard. And when I got the email, I was like, oh, somebody must have sent it to the wrong email. (laughs) So so definitely I've been in similar situations. And it's just like I've learned after that moment that just embrace what I mean, obviously, the Internet being as crazy as today still proceed with a little bit of caution. But just always believe, you know, something good is in the background and something good is happening. So, and also because I know you're in the academia, what are like your top three, maybe conferences or events that you think students should tend to expand on their community? Well, definitely if you're in the the tech space, I would say go to our conference, (laughs) which is it's it's really, really great for networking and finding support and mentoring. Um, and I'm obviously a huge proponent for NSBE, um, several for several reasons. One, it's a larger organization, so there's a full structure of people that you can connect with. And then, let me think. For a student, it really just depends on what their interests are. So if 
if they are thinking about doing academic research, they should look into the type of field that they ultimately want to be a part of. So if we're just talking about diversity, the Richard Tapia Celebration of Diversity is a great opportunity as well to meet people from all different types of diverse backgrounds. So different ability levels, uh, different ethnic and gender backgrounds. That's a good space for that. Those are kind of what where I'm usually at somewhere in that space. And I would encourage students to just go at least once a year to a conference and network and meet people and get used to like talking about what you love. And I think that's great advice. And hopefully people start taking that. I love to see more people out here just talking about what they love or what their future is, because you never know who's going to be the next person to help you. Yeah. And so we've talked about what you do, your conference, the awards and the education that you have. So one of my last questions is you brought so much change to the community with your grant work. Did you always know that you would be a champion for change? I definitely did not always know that. (laughs) (laughs) But I started to see a trend while I was in my undergraduate program. So I realized that I've always worked in spaces to support people who didn't really have the access to the resources that I had. And because I came from a more affluent background, I had a different voice that I felt I should use for my community. And, um, my parents instilled in me like really strong values as a child and I'm a Christian and there's a verse in the Bible that that says you should be a voice to the voiceless. And it always is something that I, I think about and I feel like that is something that has kind of carried me through, especially in times when I felt like, I don't know if I should say this (laughs) might not be the appropriate thing or I might not say it the right way but I feel like somebody needs to know and as that has become more of who I am I'm finding out that people need it like it's it's necessary to have someone who is willing to kind of like put themselves out there for others and that's how we move forward and this leads me to my last question And we talked about this, I feel like, quite a bit during our conversation. And it's about promoting yourself. Mm -hmm. And we've spoke about how we don't do that well. Being a person of color in the tech industry, what are some of your tips and advice for promoting yourself? I think part of it is being willing to put yourself out there. So going to events, representing yourself well, but also, you know, create a personal website and put your information on there, share with people where you're going and the things that you're doing, get on social media, Twitter, and just say what you want to say. Like, let people see who you are. And I think that's the best way to do it. And the more people you meet, the more people will learn about you and and who you are and and what you're accomplishing. And I think that's really the best way to, to let people know that you're out here doing things, changing the world. Thank you for your time today, Jeremy. And hopefully you will be seeing some of my listeners at the National Society of Blacks and Computing event in New Orleans. 
Yeah, that'd be awesome. Thank you for listening to episode 15 of Black Tech Unplugged. I hope to see some of you at the National Society of Blacks and Computing Conference in New Orleans in August. If you're new to the podcast or you haven't subscribed already, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you're listening and subscribe today. And if you really enjoy the show and its content, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Or you can send a review to blacktechunplugged at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to share with your friends and on social media using hashtag blacktechunplugged. Until next time.